We will be in Colossians uh, chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 24, and we'll go through chapter 2, verse 5. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Colossians 1, verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of of His body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the Word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to His saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Let us pray. Father, may we with Paul have our message be and rejoice in that simple phrase, Him we proclaim. Help us, O Father, with this very with this very function that we are to take up and this very message that we are to proclaim. Help us now, O Father, in your Son's name. Amen. As we've seen over the past few weeks, the first few chapters, or really the first chapter of Colossians, is really to provide a clear presentation of Christ's person and work, what we would call the gospel. Paul wants the church to be rock solid on Christ's sufficiency to bring sinners into God's presence. And with this backdrop, Paul now shows his purpose in writing in the passage that we have just read. He wants the Colossians to forsake false teachers and mature in Christ. But remember, as we have just seen, that Paul has never met the Colossians face to face. Paul was trying to prevent the church from wandering after false teachers. And with him never having actually been with the Colossians, you could see this difficulty. Likewise, we often find ourselves trying to win wanderers back to the truth, even ourselves. But by following the pattern of Paul, we see how we can accomplish the task before us. So this is what I want us to see tonight, the main point. To win the wandering, we must rejoice in our struggle for the wandering. To win the wandering, 
we must rejoice in our struggle for the wandering. In our passage tonight, to win the Colossians, Paul rejoices in our captivating Christ, our mission for maturity, and our confidence in the church. Again, those three points. Paul rejoices in our captivating Christ, our mission for maturity, and our confidence in the church. So for our first point, to win the wandering, rejoice in our captivating Christ. In chapter 1, verses 24 to 27, Paul's apostolic ministry is for the purpose of revealing Christ, the hope of glory. Last time in verse 23, we saw that Paul urged the Colossians to continue in the gospel hope that Paul served. Paul carries this thought into verse 24, describing his work as an apostle for Christ. Paul's apostleship is marked by a joyful suffering. Serving Christ and his labor or his gospel was a labor of love. He rejoiced in his physical sufferings that he followed, uh, which followed the pattern of Christ himself. As we see there in verse 24, Paul fills up what is lacking in Christ in the sense that, in the sense that God's trials for Paul are the means of Christ's gospel to spread to the nations. That's the idea. And Paul's joyful sufferings is for the ultimate benefit of you, the church, Christ's body. And so in verse 25, Paul says that his suffering ministry was given by God for both the Colossians and the broader church. Paul's sufferings had a purpose. His purpose was to make the Word of God fully known. As one of Christ's apostles, Paul spreads the word of God, which is the announcement of Christ and his kingdom. He makes the gospel fully known in that the kingdom is coming to the Gentiles, not merely the Jews. Also note this about Paul. He understands himself to be one of the prophesied messengers of the good news, of the good news of God's kingdom. Paul calls the Word of God in verse 26 the mystery hidden, but now revealed. In the Old Testament, there were many prophecies about the coming Messiah and the redemptive kingdom that he would establish. Before Christ came, Old Testament saints had an idea of the Savior, but he was still a little bit mysterious. It was not fully grasped what this Christ would exactly do to accomplish this redemptive kingdom. In other words, this gospel was hidden. But now that Christ has come and His gospel is spreading, the old prophetic message is now fully revealed and understood not only by the Jewish saints, but the Gentiles too. And this was Paul's purpose, that he would make known the Word of God, the gospel fully known. In verse 27, God has chosen to make known to His saints, even the Gentiles, how great are the riches of this revealed mystery. By faith in Christ's gospel, we participate in the saving riches of Christ and share the hope of eternal glory. By faith, Christ is in us and we share in His resurrection glory. And this gospel, this gospel far surpasses any of the lies that we hear from the false teachers. By claiming to see visions of heaven, false teachers taught that we are able to keep the Mosaic law 
that we, that we are to keep the Mosaic law to secure our entrance in heaven, to ultimately secure ourselves for glory. But in contrast, Paul rejoiced in his struggle to proclaim the captivating Christ. Paul's message was not only for the Jews, but also the Greek. Paul's message was not a novel vision, but the old prophetic message of salvation now fully revealed. Paul's message was not a message of our own efforts building up to our own glory. Paul's message was the call to trust in Christ, the true hope of glory. False visions should not entice us because Christ alone has captivated us. The Apostle Peter also speaks of Christ's captivating message in his first epistle. 1 Peter 1.10, concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. You see, the Old Testament prophets, they knew there there was something there of Christ. It was still hidden. That's why they inquired deeply. Inquiring what person or time. The Spirit of Christ in them, the Holy Spirit, was indicating when the Spirit predicted the sufferings of Christ and His subsequent glories. That's the gospel, the sufferings of Christ and his subsequent glories. This is the gospel that was once hidden, but now revealed. And Peter goes on to say, it was revealed to them, the old prophets, that they were serving not themselves, but you, the church. In the things that have now been announced to you, to those, through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Brothers and sisters, angels long to look at the glory that the Holy Spirit has now revealed to us, the church. That is a captivating message. This gospel is about Christ's suffering and glory, His humiliation and exaltation, His death and His resurrection. And by faith, By faith, if we trust in the announcement of Christ and His resurrection glory, we share in those same sufferings and that same glory. He suffered unto death in the place of sinners, securing our pardon. And He rose, bringing all believers into a new resurrection life. He now stands before the Father in glory, interceding for us right this minute until He consummates His glory forever. Christ and His work are our salvation. He is our hope. Our hope is the glory that He alone has secured for us. And brothers and sisters, this message, this gospel, of Christ is what is to capture our mind's eye. Yet there are many temptations to be captivated by so many so-called gospels, when in fact it is no gospel at all. Remember, Paul is warning against false teachers who had plausible arguments. They had plausible arguments for obtaining heaven in themselves. And so there was a ring of truth to them. 
Most likely, these false teachers weren't necessarily denying things like Jesus and His resurrection. Most likely, they weren't. They most likely agreed with Jesus having died and rose again. But this is what they were undermining. They were undermining the full weight of what Christ's work had accomplished. They were denying Christ's sufficiency to bring His church into heavenly glory. As we've seen last week, there are many false messages in our day that are called the gospel, but ultimately deny Christ's sufficiency. To get to heaven, you need to have faith in Jesus, but you still need to be faithful or submit to secure your standing in Christ. Ultimately, it comes down to you. Our sanctification is distorted from a saving benefit of Christ's work to a mere condition to be fulfilled to stay in Jesus. Grace then is distorted into law. Now, these false gospels were originally intended to address nominalism, the licentiousness, and the carnal Christianity that is still rampant in our day. There's a ring of truth to them. These clear errors must be rebuked. But brothers and sisters, hear me. There's anything that I can plead with you tonight is that we cannot defeat the errors of licentiousness, of antinomianism, of carnal Christianity with false gospels. We can't. We can't. It is simply being captivated by one lie and trading it for another. So brothers and sisters, what are you to do if you see yourself or your brother or sister being captivated by either one of these errors? It's very simple. Open the Word of God and let the Spirit speak. Let the Spirit of God, as you read Holy Scripture, captivate your mind's eye with Christ's glory. His sufficient glory. His person and work. Not your own. The gospel of Christ is not a mere stepping stool for your obedience toward God. The gospel of Christ transforms us from living in the realm of sin to the realm of Christ's resurrected glory. The life we now live is lived for Christ. And this gospel is not revealed to some elite few. No. But it comes to all. All those who would have their eyes fixed upon Christ by faith, they and they alone will share in Christ's resurrection life, and it will show in their lives. Brothers and sisters, if you hear anything tonight, it's this first point. Paul proclaimed a real gospel. He had a real gospel. He reveals a gospel of an all sufficient Christ who transforms sinners. None of our works done in the fear of missing out of eternal glory. That's not the gospel. But Christ is. The Spirit reveals this gospel of Jesus in the Word. And the Spirit illuminates our wandering hearts to behold Christ's true, saving glory. Paul rejoices in his struggle, brothers and sisters, for this reason. This is why he struggles. This is why he is writing in prison at this very moment. So that he might speak to the Colossians of the true saving knowledge of Christ. 
Paul rejoices in his struggle to reveal this Jesus because Jesus is the good news. Christ's gospel is the rich hope of glory that Christ has secured. I cannot say that enough. So don't trade this precious gospel for a counterfeit, brothers and sisters. Don't do it. Don't do it. All we are to do is to dig deeper and deeper and deeper into the Scriptures where Christ is revealed to us and we are captivated by His loving and saving and gracious mercy. Brothers and sisters, if you feel your heart wandering to self-sufficiency, open the Scriptures and let the Spirit speak to your soul. May He captivate your heart that you might only secure yourselves, not in your works, but in Christ, in Christ alone. So then, let the Spirit captivate you by this Christ who saves and saves in full. And let the Spirit have the full effect of this Gospel. This brings us to our second point. To win the wandering, rejoice in the mission for maturity. To win the wandering, rejoice in the mission for maturity. In verses 28 to 29, Paul's aim is to present the entire church mature in Christ. In verse 28, Paul reiterates that Christ is the sole focus of his apostolic message. Him we proclaim. That's a solid line. Paul did good there. That's a solid, solid line. And he shows that the way he carries out this apostolic message, he warns everyone and teaches everyone. Again, Paul sees himself as one of the messengers to the nations, as was prophesied in the Old Testament. You might remember from Romans that he is the one who has beautiful feet, who preaches good news, right? That's not speaking of Jesus, that's speaking of the Apostle Paul and all those who imitate Paul in the apostolic proclamation of the gospel. So this is why he emphasizes that his proclamation is for everyone. is because ultimately the Old Testament prophesied that this message would come to the nations, not merely the Jews. But there is another pertinent reason for why Paul emphasized the universality of his proclamation. The false teaching in Colossae was localized to that specific area. The Colossian heresy shared some of the Judaizing tendencies that was common among the early church. We see that all across the New Testament. But the Colossian heresy was, in, was unique in that a certain elite few claimed revelatory visions. These visions were the basis for them uh, of insisting upon keeping the Mosaic law and their strict asceticism. This was the wisdom that these elites imported to the dim-witted masses, the church. But in contrast, Paul teaches the good news of Christ with all wisdom. The gospel is the full revelation of God's wisdom for salvation. This gospel is taught to everyone, not just the elite few. And the end goal of Paul's ministry is that we may, that they may excuse me, that the apostles may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul used the language of presenting earlier in verse 22. Let's turn there, or just look up there with me. He now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless 
and above reproach, to present you. There, Christ's work had the purpose of presenting the church holy, blameless, and above reproach before God. Likewise, Paul is saying that his apostolic ministry is necessary in bringing Christ's work to the church of presenting us mature in Christ. As he says in Romans, how is, the Christ, how is Christ's church to believe without someone preaching? Likewise, how is the church to be holy and above approach without God's appointed messengers conforming them to Christ? That's the idea. So Paul's work is vitally important. But catch this, brothers and sisters, he is just merely a means to the end. Paul underscores God's work in him in verse 29. It is God who works powerfully in Paul in his great struggle to proclaim the gospel and present the church mature in Christ. And it is Christ alone who makes the church holy, holy to their God. Paul uses the language of maturity here, both here and in Ephesians. The idea is that the church would conform and grow into the fullness of Christ. All that Christ is, we are to become. It's interesting how Paul speaks of his mission in relation to Christ. Where Christ presents us holy to God, reconcile, Paul will present us mature in Christ before God. The word for mature is often translated complete or perfect. It's actually a synonym for holy and used to describe the sacrifices worthy to come before God. It is a complete or mature sacrifice that is well-pleasing to God. We could say that Paul's mission to the church is to present them holy as Christ is holy. In union with Christ, systematically speaking, we have a positional holiness. As we see in verse 22, Christ has reconciled us and made us holy to God. There's nothing that we can do or add to this work. But this does not mean that we are yet complete or perfect. We are called to mature and progressively become holier and holier and holier. This is progressive sanctification. So Paul's mission is to present us as holy and mature before God on the last day. We are to become holy quite literally, as Christ is holy. As we said earlier, the errors concerning the gospel today stem from a concern that many so-called Christians are not holy in their conduct. And this is a valid critique. It is true that there are many Christians, many so-called Christians, who do not live for Christ. And a Christian with unholy conduct is a contradiction in terms. The whole purpose of Christ's work is that we would be holy before God, both receiving the holy, holy, holy status that He established at the cross, but also taking up our cross and following Him. The false teachers taught that one's strict, holy conduct was the only basis for our entrance into heaven. Essentially, they were denying positional sanctification, which was accomplished in Christ's mission for us. But in our day, there's a different kind of mission drift. 
We wander from the truth by wandering in our conduct. We wander from the truth by denying progressive sanctification. Typically, because there is some sin cherished, we form a gospel that fits our preferences. This is a gospel that ultimately denies the power to defeat sin. It's a gospel that denies the ability for us to defeat the pollution that still corrupts our soul. It is a gospel that leaves us in the pollution of sin. Some gospel. How do we address another brother or sister, or even our own souls, if we see this false gospel in us? It's very easy. Follow the pattern of Paul. Rejoice in the mission for maturity. Simply put, let the gospel have its full effect. Believe in a gospel that can change your behavior, brothers and sisters. Believe a gospel that can wean us from the pollution of sin. Believe a gospel that transforms the pattern of our lives to be pleasing before God. Not merely in the theoretical, but in the practical. That's the gospel that we are to believe. And so we need to address the mission drift that you see, either in another brother or in your own soul. Don't believe a gospel that can't change who you are. Don't believe in a gospel that Christ will leave you as you are. This is not good news. It's terrifying news. It's sad news. The whole mission of our salvation is that we would be holy as Christ is holy. The whole mission of His work is that we would grow experientially into what He has made us theologically holy. Holy, holy. Christ's work is not about affirming who you are now. But Christ's work is about presenting you as mature and holy in Christ on the last day. So then labor as Paul did in the power of God. As he says elsewhere, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and work to His good pleasure. Brothers and sisters, as we saw this morning, this is what we were made for. This is good news. In Christ, your continued works, your growing maturity, your progressive sanctification, it actually pleases God. Your works please God. Your efforts please God. If you are in Christ, that is why He saved you and called you to holiness so that He might look, our God might look down upon you and smile. Brothers and sisters, is this not good news? We who were as a dead carcass in our sin can now present our lives as a fragrant and well-pleasing sacrifice to our God that God would even dare to smile at us. The transformation that has taken place, the holy works that we can actually give, yes, in Christ, but that we actually give are well-pleasing in His sight. That 
is astounding, cosmic shifting, world foundation shaking good news. So stop living for yourself and give your lives to Christ's pattern of holiness. Continue in the mission of Christ. Continue in your maturity. For it is all for God's glory, which is the heartbeat of the Christian. So then rejoice in the mission for maturity. For that is God's purpose for us in Christ. And don't allow any lie to pull you away from this mission. This brings us to our third and final point. To win the wandering, rejoice in our confidence in the church. In chapter 2, verses 1-5, through five, Paul applies his ministry to the nations, to the particular issues at Colossae. In verse 1, Paul reiterates his struggle to make known Christ to all men and bring the church to maturity. But this time, he focuses on those who had not seen him face to face. The churches at Laodicea and Colossae. These churches were in a similar region, and it was a region that Paul had not yet visited in person. As we said earlier, the purpose of Paul's struggle was to present all men mature. But in verse 2, Paul's purpose transitions from the general all men or the universal church to these local churches. And the purpose of Paul's struggle now changes slightly as well. His struggle has the purpose that these churches be encouraged, be knit together in love. The idea is this, as as believers in Colossae and, and Laodicea pursue this maturity, as they pursue this holiness, they are to be encouraged by one another's holiness. They are mutually encouraged through their glowing, growing love for one another because they see Christ in one another. And by being so encouraged, Paul's struggle also includes a second intended purpose, the Colossians' full assurance in the gospel. By knowing the mystery of God, which is Christ, they are secured in their acceptance before God. As verse 3 suggests, there is no other message that can can compare to the treasures and wisdoms that are Jesus. Paul, what we are to see here, is he is confident that he has won the church. Because they will surely be encouraged and assured in Christ's true gospel. Or to put it negatively as verse 4, Paul does not want the church to be deluded by the plausible lies of false teachers. And in verse 5, Paul is confident that the Colossians will not wander from this truth because the Colossians will accept Paul's exhortation and the gospel that he has delivered in his letter. Though he is absent in body, he says he is with them in the Spirit. The same spirit at work among Paul and the churches that he has elsewhere visited is at work among the Colossians. He can rejoice knowing that the spirit rock Colossians will receive the true gospel. He rejoices knowing that they will keep their order and firmness of faith solely, solely on Christ. It may seem strange to us that Paul was so confident 
in the Colossian church. It was to me. How could he know that they would heed his gospel and not fall for the lies? Well, remember that the church at Colossae had already received the true gospel from Epaphras. Paul's mission was ultimately dealing with a healthy church who he simply just wanted to ensure wouldn't fall for the lies of false teachers. But more importantly, the reason Paul is confident in the church is because he is confident in the message. False teachers were saying that strict adherence to the Torah was needed to secure our salvation. To be saved, we need to know the treasures and the wisdom of the Torah as we see, as we see described in places like Proverbs 2. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth came knowledge and understanding. False teachers thought this was speaking of the Torah as just mere legal code. But Paul uses, uses the language of Proverbs here, which speaks of treasure and wisdom of the Torah, to speak of Christ in verse 3. In Christ are hidden all the treasures and wisdom and, and knowledge. In other words, Christ is what the Torah was revealing and pointing to as the true source, as the true treasure and wisdom that we are to know and understand for salvation. The false teacher's claim to the Torah was illegitimate because Paul's Christ is the treasure hidden in all the Old Testament Scriptures. Brothers and sisters, we should be confident in the church receiving the truth as Paul was. Though there may be wandering members from time to time, we know that Christ's true church will remain steadfast to the hope of Christ, the true treasure, the true wisdom. Yet though we know this truth, it's so easy to focus on where the church is wandering, where the church is going astray. What's wrong with the church? Maybe you felt this in your own soul. Your brother or sister may not deny the gospel, but they may hold to some error that you're concerned about. You may think to yourself, how are these people falling for this one? Or, you might be concerned about someone's conduct. Why do they keep falling into that sin? What's the deal? And you may have a legitimate point. We must discern truth from error, holiness from sin. But we need to be critical of our own critiques. We must not harbor a spirit of a long nose looking down. Looking down at those beneath you. And because, in fact, this is the same spirit of the false teachers who are puffed up in their knowledge 
and their own self-worth. You may be correct about certain truths and what godliness should look like. But the way we bring others to the fuller truth is not to belittle them or scoff at them. We bring our church family to the fuller truth by winning them. By winning them in our joy for the truth and for holiness. Brothers and sisters, this is not a simplistic optimism about the church. This is a conviction rooted in a theological reality. Our God, as we believe in the gospel, our God is conforming us all to the image of His Son. Our God is maturing His church in the full knowledge of His Son. This is the gospel having its full effect. You don't need to be confident in the church as mere men who are prone to wander. But, brothers and sisters, you must be utterly confident, boasting in the God who is sanctifying His people for His own glory. Because if you scoff at your brother and sister, you're ultimately scoffing at the gospel's ability to bring them closer and closer to the truth and to true holiness. Paul was confident in a church that he had never met. So how much more should we be confident in this church, brothers and sisters, where we do see God sanctifying and maturing saints, where we see Christ proclaimed in all of His riches, where we see a love that abounds for truth and holiness. So brothers and sisters, if you have a critical spirit in your heart, leave the criticism behind you. Look at what God is doing in the church and rejoice in that. Be encouraged and knit together in love. Rooted and secured in a Christ who saves. It's only as you give yourself in love and joy for your church that your wandering brother or sister are brought into a fuller maturity, both in truth and practical holiness. So do you want to see this church here at Grace Baptist flourish? Do you want us to be men and women of truth? Holy and mature men and women living our lives for Christ. And be confident. Rejoice. Boast. Boast. Boast in the God who is at work among us. For that is the power of the gospel having its full effect. So to conclude, to win the wandering, rejoice in your struggle for them. The wandering are won through our rejoicing and our confidence that God will work among His church. They are won by seeing the joy of God's purpose in sanctifying and maturing us all for His glory and praise. And all of this is only possible through the joy-provoking gospel of Christ and His captivating glory. Oh, brothers and sisters, whether it be a curious seeker new to the faith, a new believer in need of maturity, or a brother shaken from his faith, your mission statement is the same as the Apostle Paul. 
may our message be, Him we proclaim. Let us pray. O Father, such a simple message to know of the Apostle Paul's labor for us. But how easy it is to wander from the simple truths that You have already presented to us, that we have already received. Help us, O Father, to be captivated by the all-sufficient Christ who alone saves and secures us for uh, heavenly glory. Help us, O Father, to not have a diminished Christ, but a whole Christ, a Christ who brings us a sanctification, a holiness, where we actually see it revealed more and more in our lives, giving you joy and delight as we do so. And Father, help us to be confident that our God is at work, that you are at work here at Grace. Help us to leave behind a a negative spirit, a, a condescending spirit, but a spirit that ultimately brings others, wanting them to see the fuller joy of walking in maturity and in holiness and in further truth. Oh, Father, help us, we pray, for it is only by your spirit and you working powerfully within us that we might give you the praise which is due your name. We ask this, O Father, in your Son's holy and perfect name. Amen.